Hey, this is Sebastian the Jet. You are listening to Soccer Subs. This is Jordan Stewart, and you're listening to Soccer Sub. Go listen. Hey, this is Rob Stone from Fox Sports. You are listening to the Soccer Subs Podcast. The Soccer Subs Podcast. It's game on. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Soccer Subs Podcast, episode 72. My name is Ronnie, and I'm joined here with my two Soccer Subs co-hosts, Christian and Eric. And fellas, before I throw it over to you guys, let me just give a quick shout out to our two Soccer sub sponsors, Paragon Sports, your premier destination for activewear, located on 18th and Broadway here in Manhattan. Go check them out for all your running needs, basketball, soccer, baseball. Go give them a follow at Paragon Sports on Instagram. And our second show sponsor, Taqueria 86, an amazing soccer-themed Mexican restaurant. They're located on 84th and Broadway here in Manhattan as well. Go check them out for some amazing tacos, burritos, drinks, tequila, all the good stuff. Go give them a follow at Taqueria86NY on Instagram. And now that that's out the way, Christian, Eric, how you guys doing? We're almost wrapping up the month of August. There's only seven, eight games left of MLS. We're heating up. How you guys doing? Ronnie, I'm doing great. I went to the Red Bulls game over this weekend and I got a bucket hat. Super excited about it. Really wanted to make sure I get that. But yeah, so a great game against Cincinnati. Can't wait to talk about that. I'm very happy for New York City FC to win. I definitely do want our New York teams to host a playoff match at home. And yeah, let's talk. Let's get into it. Oh, man, another episode, another week of amazing soccer. It's now official. Casemiro is a Manchester United player. I did not see that coming. We've had an amazing week of MLS, amazing week of European football, and we have an amazing guest for this, this week's episode, man. I can't wait for all of you to listen up. Appreciate it, Eric. We got a big show coming up for you guys today for all the soccer fans. We got a big guest coming up in just a few minutes. He's a former professional footballer who now serves as a head coach. He's coached for clubs such as the LA Galaxy, the Portland Timbers. He is now the head coach of Detroit City, one of USL's newest clubs. His name is Trevor James. We got head coach Trevor James from Detroit City coming up in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking with Coach Trevor on his career, working with Bruce Arena in the LA Galaxy, and just Detroit City. Detroit City is definitely a team to watch. If you guys remember, Detroit City beat Columbus Crew in the U.S. Open Cup. They're definitely a team to watch. They play with grit, intensity. I mean, Detroit City is definitely a team to visit and catch a game over if any of the MLS fans or USL fans are ever in Detroit, Michigan. So yeah, really excited to talk to Coach Trevor coming up in just a few minutes. And yeah, fellas, since we last recorded, just some soccer news to get into. My very own NYCFC beating the Chicago Fire. We were on the road 2-0. to What a game. We had a goal by Gabriel Pereira and Santi Rodriguez. Three good points on the road. A great bounce back from this past game. We also had the New York Red Bulls tying against FC Cincinnati. Christian was at that game at Red Bull Arena, 1-1. We had a penalty by Patrick Kamala, and we had a goal by Matt Miazga on the other end. A heck of a game, 1-1. And we also had a couple of other mentions coming up in the MLS. Nashville beating FC Dallas 4-0. And I think we jinxed ourselves. San Jose Earthquakes beating LAFC 2-1. In San Jose, being the home team, Gareth Bale was in action. Still no Giorgio Chiellini, but a heck of a game there. And the LA Galaxy drawing with the Seattle Sounders, 3-3. I think the biggest thing to take away from that game, the LA Galaxy were up 2-0, and they blew a 2-0 lead. So a lot to talk about with MLS coming up. Christian, let me throw it to you, man. I mean, heck of a week so far here in MLS. Seven, eight games left of the season. How are you feeling on your New York Red Bulls? How are you feeling on the FC Cincinnati game? How are you feeling? 
Well, first of all, I'm just going to mention this again. If the Rebels want people to go to their stadium, uh, they should give out bucket hats every single game. There were a lot of people. I think there were over 10,000 people at the stadium. It was super exciting because you have the attacking trio with most combined goals and assists with Brandon Vasquez, Brenner, and Lucia Costa. So it was going to be difficult to play this team because they're a high-scoring team. They're going to come at you. They're going to pressure you the same way that the Rebels do. But I do have to say, understanding that Brandon Vasquez was coming into this game, scoring four goals in each of the last four games, you have to put somebody on him that was going to give him trouble, that's going to make it difficult for him. And I think one of the key players for this game was Andres Reyes. The Colombian defender came out and had Brandon in his pocket. As much as I love Brandon, this game, he had a lot of difficulties trying to move around, trying to find and connect with his teammates and just getting a good shot on goal. So it was difficult for him to play against a tough New York Rebels team. I have to say that I was a little bit excited and disappointed because I did see some great football plays. Cameron Harper has been so enthusiastic. He's always bringing energy on the field. And he had a great scoring opportunity in the first 10, 15 minutes of the game where he could have laid it off to Cassidy's Jr. And it could have been a one zip and we could start getting rolling on, on Cincinnati. However, he took a shot on goal and he missed it. And then Cincinnati scores minutes later in a dead ball. And that's something that the Rebels tend to struggle at times. It's kind of having a taste of their own medicine. Aaron Long wasn't starting the game. So unfortunately, you have these big towers, Geoff Cameron, you had Matt Miazga, you have Brandon Baskis. And the only two big guys right there, you can have Nealis and Reyes. So Edelman had to take the job on defending Miazga. And Miazga is 6'3", and Edelman is around 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, so whenever those crosses, whenever that ball came in, it was super easy, well-timed by Miazga, but that mistake cost them the first goal. Luckily for the Rebels, they did bounce back after a corner. Andres Reyes receives the ball, and he's fouled inside the box. Bar does a really good job to call this one because it is a thousand percent. So the game starts very quickly. Both teams with one goal each. And I think what I wanted to see a little bit more is more composure from our wingers. The Rebels were playing from the right side on the first half and the second half. One of the things I mentioned earlier, Cameron Harper, he has his tenacity on the field. But I feel like at times, if he can gain some composure, he can be a lethal player, especially because he does have good crosses. He does have good shots on goal as well. But he needs to understand when to give a cross, when to shoot a goal. And I think if he composes himself, he's going to be great for this team. And I do want to see him with more minutes on the field. One of the greatest things that I saw, too, in his second straight start is our boy, Daniel Edelman, who we got a pretty surprise uh, for the listeners in the upcoming episodes. But he did a fantastic job in the midfield. I mean, he looked like he's 26, 27 year old. So much composure in his defensive mindset. He knows when to go for those 50-50 balls and he's always winning them. He has a great vision. He loves to play quick. He doesn't take too many touches on the ball. He distributes the ball well and he takes risks. He actually had a great chance to score the winning goal in the second half. 
but I love what he's doing at just 19 years of age. I'm not going to say this. I wish Boss was here to quote me on this one, but I think we see a little bit of that. Uh, actually, we see a lot of that Tyler Adams style of play, and I think he's going to be a very, very important player for this Red Bulls team and for the United States team as well. What a pleasure to see him do so well with the team. A couple of other pointers as well. I think Miazga and his return to New Jersey did pretty well, clearing everything. I mean, he played only 60, 70 minutes because they're watching his amount of time on the field. He's still adapting again to MLS. But boy, I was talking to my boy, Matt. I was talking to Jessica and I was like, well, he got this guy is no wonder they picked him up and he's adapted so quickly. He's coming from Europe. He was taking all the aerial balls. Nobody can get through him. Him and Jeff Cameron paired up pretty well. I think it's good to have somebody like Miazga and Cameron. Obviously, Cameron, the more experienced, but that balance is going to help Cincinnati defend like they did today. The Rebels try to put in so many crosses, but you will always find six to seven defenders, Cincinnati defenders on the box. So no ball was going through. I think a lot of credit has to be given to Pat Noonan for what he's doing with his team. I think talking as well, he wanted to play more aggressively. But when you have a right back like Powell, who's fast, strong, talking had to be more reserved. So more of the game was on the right side with Duncan and Harper. Overall, I think a lot of criticism is being placed on forwards like Klimala, but Klimala had a fantastic first half. He is doing all the hard work to continue to contribute to the team, whether it's with a hold-up play or his passing, connecting with his wingers or midfielders. And he's always the only person that receives those long balls. He's the main target. So he's running side to side trying to get him. And, you know, it's hard to find him in the box in a good position because he's doing everything else. So I just hope it comes to terms where like our wingers can be a little bit more composed so that Klimala doesn't have to be running to the sides. Once that happens, any ball that comes in, it's going to be a little bit easier for him to control. It's going to be a little bit easier for him to have a better vision on goal. And I think the Rebels will improve. But overall, great performance by both teams. I think a point is well-deserved for both of them. Appreciate it, Christian. And yeah, for my very own NYCFC, we had a huge win against Chicago on the road 2-0. It was a great bounce back from that Charlotte FC game where we lost 3-1, a game that I don't think anybody expected us to lose, especially Charlotte, you know, being at the bottom of the table. But yeah, it was a great recovery, especially I've mentioned in other episodes, we were in a three-road stretch. We lost that. We had a loss against Miami. We had a loss against Columbus. We had a draw against Montreal. So I think for the boys in blue, we needed this, these three points. And I know Nick Cushing has been expressing, you know, intensity. We need to play together. And most importantly, we just got to play with detail. So it was a great win. I got to stress very quickly. This game, we won without Maxi Morales. One goal by Santi Rodriguez and a goal by Gabriel Pereira. I mean, Gabriel Pereira on the right wing is so dangerous. On paper, man, this guy's a midfielder technically on paper, but Nick Cushing and, and Ronnie Dallas put him on the right wing. And he's been so dangerous, so good on that side. And Santi Rodriguez, man, who's just been creating and kind of been filling in for Moxie, who's been so good, man. I got to give a quick shout out to our back line, you know, Malti Almondson, Tiago Martins, Shano, Tinnerholm. They were all amazing. And this game got chippy, man. I mean, Shakiri, you could tell he the tempers were flaring, you know. The ball wasn't going their way. You know, Sean Johnson was just amazing for us. And like I said, it was a much needed three points. It wasn't pretty, but the boys in blue got it done. I think the true test is going to be against Orlando. We have Orlando coming up this Sunday. 
it's going to be a good game. Oscar Pareja's team has been on a three-game winning streak, so that's going to be a good test. And Christian, before I let you go, how are you feeling up against your upcoming game against Montreal this upcoming Wednesday, man? I think that's going to be a true test for you guys as well. We play uh, Inter-Miami first, so that's going to be the first test, and I think we have to watch out. They haven't lost in their last five games. I think three wins and two draws. I think we have vintage Pipa Higuain, who has been such a hard worker in the last couple of weeks. Boys like Lasseter, DeAndre Yetlin. I just think Neville has found a way to get the best out of this team. I think considering what they had to let go, it's pretty impressive. They had to let go of players like Carranza Morgan, who, let me tell you, they're doing fantastic out of Inter-Miami. So if you would have had this player and you would have more of a control of the team, I think Inter-Miami would not be in this spot. They would be in a bigger, higher spot. So they're, they're a team that, that can be taken lightly. They have only won three games in, at home this season. And if you want to be a contender, you have to learn to win at home. And I'm not sure what seems to be the problem. Maybe we're not feeling like we're playing at home, but this team needs to be better. And they need to get the three points against Inter Miami. Appreciate it, Christian, man. And Eric, let me throw it to you, man. I mean, I feel like we jinxed ourselves with LAFC, man, losing to the San Jose Earthquakes. Just a quick question for you, man. They got Austin FC coming up this upcoming Friday, and they got the Houston Dynamo coming up next week. How do you feel they do on the next two games, man? I believe they're both of them are on the road as well. So how do you think an LAFC can bounce back? Hector Herrera as well and Sebastian Drusi coming up their way. Oh, man, you know, normally I'd say, you know, a team of LAFC's caliber, given the fact that they've already clinched playoffs, I don't even think they need to win the next couple of games. However, if you want to consider yourself a championship team and you want others not only to fear you, but also consider yourself a championship team, you need to win these games. You need to make it clear that you can bounce back from a loss. And, I, you know, I have no doubt that LAFC are going to bounce back from that loss. It was clearly unexpected, but I expect great things from them the next game. I see them bouncing back and continuing to steamroll past the MLSI teams. Appreciate that, Eric. And by the way, before we get to Trevor James, Eric, man, let me just throw it to you. What have you been seeing from the European side of things? We had two good games, Leeds United being Chelsea, and we also had Man U beating Liverpool. Two huge results, man. Just your quick thoughts on those games and anything you've been seeing on the European side of things. No, for sure. I mean, listen, I'll let Christian talk about it more. But listen, Pulisic, your time is up, dude. You have another American in Premier League who is just outplaying you and just is looking a lot better. Brandon Aronson has been on a roll for this Leeds United side. Tyler Adams has been sensational. Although Pulisic is still young and he seems to be out of Tuchel's plan, it's looking bright for American soccer. You know, these are American players who are shining in all of Europe. You have, again, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, Gio Reyna, obviously, when he comes back out of injury, and amongst others, of course, you know. So Leeds, an amazing result, an amazing result for Jesse March, of course, as well. And I'll let Christian talk about it more in a bit. On the other side of the pond, uh, Liverpool and United. Listen, I said last week, last episode, that, you know, United are awful. And I thought, I honestly had Liverpool in my top two teams of this season. And honestly, they're disappointing me so far. What to say about the game itself? Listen, United, an amazing game from their part. Players clearly hungry. Ten Hag obviously came with a tactics and tactics that clearly worked. You can see that Liverpool, for starters, are missing key players. And, you know, this is a side who's remained mostly the same since the last time they won the UCL. This side has not really changed much. They need to make clear signings that 
can start for this team. Nunez, Dom Redcard. Obviously, they have a bunch of injuries and key players like Conate and, you know, Chamberlain. You started Milner, who's like 45 years old in your midfield. Obviously, you're going to get ran through in the Premier League. But listen, it was a fantastic game from United. Sancho had an amazing game. Manchester United have clearly found their center-back pairing in Lisandro Martinez and Rafael Varane. Varane, of course, a UCL winner, World Cup winner. Obviously, he was fantastic talent. The only thing that was probably holding him back is the fact that your captain, Maguire, kept starting. I don't think Maguire starts another game for United. I could be wrong. You know, he could start a couple of FA Cup games, a couple championship games, because honestly, Maguire, you clearly hear the issue. Because, listen, a lot of people were commenting, oh, Lisandro Martinez is too short. No, I don't think height matters if you can play the position very well. And we've had some of the greatest center backs, obviously, not be the tallest players. You know, Puyol, Baresi, Fabio Cannavaro, you know, all these players have been amazing world-class footballers and they weren't the tallest in their positions. Does it help to be tall? Of course, but Lisandro Martinez hasn't lost an aerial duel so far in the three games so far. So I think Manchester United have their center-back pairings. They have Casemiro to reinforce that defensive line. Do I still think United will make top four? I do not think so. I still think that the team tends to choke weird games. They perform well against Liverpool. We'll watch them lose against their next opponent. I don't know who they face next. Listen, if they face like, I don't know, like a Brighton, they'll probably lose. Obviously, Moises Caicedo, amazing player over there that they have. He might score on them. But an amazing game overall. Ronaldo, listen, you may be the problem. They played fantastic without you, with you on the bench. Listen, United, right side, great result. And Liverpool, it's time to bounce back, dude. Virgil van Dijk, I saw an amazing post with him and his aura. Listen, dude, old center backs like Vidic and John Terry, they would have broke their heads trying to defend that. Virgil, you can't just have your hands behind your back and expect things to go your way. Obviously, fantastic result for United. Congrats to Barcelona and their newest signing, Robert Lewandowski. He scored a brace over the weekend. Amazing. Great job. They still need to register Kuhn, if I'm not mistaken. And obviously, Real Madrid, of course, on top. You know, an amazing performance from Schwameni, who's been an amazing signing so far. I don't think we'll miss Casimero much, as much as he's a legend. And Serie A is, you know, getting intense. Juve drawed yesterday. And, you know, Roma, Roma is a team to lock out for. They won yesterday, and I, you know, I expect them to be competing for minimum top three this season. That's my take from European football this weekend. I just want to do a quick shout-out to Tati Castellanos, who scored his first goal with Girona in La Liga. We're proud of you. We are watching you. We can't wait to see you score more goals, whether it's on Barcelona. I don't care. You're an MLS product. Brendan Anderson keeps scoring MLS product. We're happy our MLS players are doing fantastic overseas. Thank you guys for representing us. Appreciate it, fellas. And yeah, let's get to our special guest, Trevor James. He's a former professional footballer, now a coach for Detroit City. He's also been a coach for the LA Galaxy under Bruce Arena. And he's also been a coach for the Portland Timbers and Indy 11 in the USL side as well. We got Trevor James coming up. A team to look out for in the USL. This team made a lot of noise in the US Open Cup, beating the Columbus crew. Heck of a team to look out for. And yeah, Trevor James coming up now. Let's go. All right, soccer fans. We got a special guest joining the show today. He's a former professional footballer and now coach, who's coached for clubs such as the LA Galaxy, the Portland Timbers, and Indy 11. He's also worked as a freelance scout for some pretty big European clubs, such as FC Barcelona, Newcastle, and FC Porto. He's been around the beautiful game for over 30 years. It's a huge pleasure to have him on with us. He is the head coach of Detroit City FC. Let's please give a warm welcome to coach Trevor James. Welcome, coach. Bravo, coach. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Good to meet you. Good to be on. 
it's a true pleasure to get to know you and speak to you today. First things first from myself and Voss is how has the 2022 season been for you? And we'd love to learn a little more about you of how you picked up the game of soccer and the roots behind how you picked up the game. Well, I don't know if the, I don't think you got long enough, uh, long enough for me to go back too far. Uh, but yeah, I mean the season's going well. Obviously, we've um, brand new challenge for us in coming to the USL Championship was obviously going to be a big challenge. But the first half of the season went really well, so everybody's pleased what's going on on the field, but uh, but also off the field. So it's been a great success. So we're just now in you know 12 games left in the season and we're trying to keep it going and get enough points that will get us into a, certainly one of those top seven spots so um if we can get in a top four spot would be great because that would mean we could host a playoff game at keyworth stadium which would be an occasion amongst ourselves it, it certainly it would mean a lot to everybody so we can't be greedy so we're trying to finish the season in a, in a positive way and see where we finish at the end question about how i picked the game up i've really bought into football and family you know my grandfather was a professional my uncles were professionals my brother who's older than me was a professional so it was very much anywhere that i i went was probably around a, something around a football field because that's where everybody was so so i was sort of born into it but uh, fortunate enough to carry on the family and and, and get in and, and enjoy the game professionally myself so um you know, I always say to, to our guys here, it's the, for me, it was the best job in the world to be able to play football every day and, and obviously to get paid for it, right? whether it was a lot or a little, it didn't matter. You were still being able to play football. So, so very fortunate. And that's it's obviously led me to uh, a, a long career now in, in the game. One as a player, two as a coach, and and other other jobs and responsibilities along the way, but, but mostly into coaching. So um, that's how I got into it. And that's some incredible stuff, Coach. And Coach, I know we just touched on your beginnings and how you fell in love with the game, but I'm a little curious because you did touch on you were a player at one point, and we know you're a coach now, but you were a scout for some of the biggest clubs in the world alongside one of the football greats and Sir Bobby Robson. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, during his time in sporting in Barcelona, and I think the English national team, you guys worked together. And how did those relationships in the past help you find your footing in U.S. soccer when you ultimately decided to make the jump overseas here permanently? And how different was the soccer landscape then compared to now? Well, well yeah, it, I was fortunate, you know, in, in a way that when I was a young player and I, and I was fortunate that I, I signed it at Ipswich Town where Bob. Bobby Robson was was the manager at the time. I was fortunate to do that. I was I was unfortunate that the fact that they had so many good players and then I got my career got shortened with, with injury that I didn't get many opportunities to play in the first team. So uh, after saying that, just being at the club, I, I was fortunate to get a great football education from Bobby Robson and and the coaches who were there at the time. And it it started a, a, a you know a, a relationship. A good friendship, as it turned out later on in life, from a, a manager, from a coach to a player, to carry on and and lead my path. Really, I mean, he was one of the first people. I tell the players this: that he was one of the first people who said to me that you probably should, you know, look and get into coaching. But the problem was, I was still trying to play. So I think that was his way of saying that you're not going to be good enough as a player, so you might want to get into coaching. But that was, you know, that was that was one of the first experience I had with him at the club you know as a 16 year old and and obviously the relationship the friendship went on 
right up uh, un until his death. So uh, it was a it was a long time, and he he certainly helped and assisted in me getting into coaching aspect. Obviously, he employed me a number of times to to do different roles, but was always was always on the end of the phone. And if I when I was coaching and 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 obviously having questions about what you know what needed to be done or how do you do this, how do you do that. He was always available on the end of the phone to give advice and and, and to, to help and, and lead you in that way. And he was very good at that. I mean, one of the, the strengths of, of being around Bob for a number of times was, was and most people say this, it was his man management. He loved to coach. He loved to get on the grass and coach and ride up till you know he couldn't do it much more he still wanted to do it and probably weren't his strongest point he probably weren't his strongest set in his overall job but what was was his was his man management and uh, i think everyone will say it that everybody would want to play for him everybody you know would respect everything he said he was he was honest he never lied to you so so a lot of what i took when you when i did actually take them over and, and to to coach in the united states a lot of it that I took from him was the man management side. And again, even at this club where, where we've gone from not being around, you know, being a ten, being around for 10 years, but being in a, a lower division and then moving up quite quickly, dealing with players and the, the man management side has been the key for me, really. Yes, I coach and, you know, you know, let the other people say whether I'm a good coach or not. But but the man management side is, has been very important here to because we've had a lot of players who who haven't got a great deal of experience in professional football so it's very new to them so the player management and the man management side has been been very big for us to to build our culture that we're building to actually make sure that we can perform consistently so there's probably one of the biggest things i i took from bob as, as well as a bad golf game but, but mainly uh mainly was the man management side Oh, that's amazing stuff, Coach. And something we wanted to ask you, we know you've been around the game for a long time. You've seen the growth of U.S. soccer throughout the years, and it's incredible where we are now, and there's so much more to go. But in that time, Coach, here in the U.S., wanted to ask you, has there been a coach that you've worked with that has kind of helped you mold your coaching style that you use now with Detroit City? Just wanted to ask also if there's any people that you seek advice to or who have kind of been some influences in your life or in your coaching career. Yeah, well, as I said, the, the main one has been has been Bobby Robson um, over the years. My time here has uh, been fortunate that I've you know worked with some good coaches here. Bruce Arena stands out obviously as as being a, a leader in MLS and in US soccer. So Bruce is um, you know I have a good relationship with Bruce, and uh, he's always available to to give advice, and he's always it's always a, a very handy person to have on the, on the end of the phone exceptional with with recruitment exceptional with building rosters he's, he's very good at that so you know it, it just i would say that he's one that i um you know i reach out to at times if if need be one or two others are you know uh, college coaches and people i've known for a long time and have always always been there to, to have a conversation or grab a cup of coffee and talk about the game you know, I find it very difficult to put the ball away. So it's, uh, it's it seems like you guys, I'm sure, you talk about the game all the time. So you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I find it difficult to do that. But um, they're the, the sort of influences. Um, as, as your question as far as where the game is now compared with where it was when I first came over, I mean, I can remember when I first came over, I would do, you know, I love to do soccer camps and 
and things like that, like people would do. But there weren't many soccer camps around at the time. And I would do soccer camps, and I you, you, I would be able to do them on on football fields with you know there's no goalposts or anything. There was a, the football post, but not soccer posts. It's like I would do them in outfields of the of baseball diamonds and and so on. But now you look around and there's soccer complexes. There's you know forty fields on this complex, twenty eight fields on this. Place. So the game is is just this grown and leaps and bounds, and and obviously along the way with being involved in MLS for, for 10 years, I saw the change in MLS. You know, I mean, I obviously at the LA Galaxy coaching pre-David Beckham, and then I was still at the LA Galaxy uh, after we'd signed David Beckham, and the, the league virtually changed overnight. The Galaxy changed their logo, their colours overnight, but it re- really changed the league as well for the for a fact that, you know, you we went a few years with not playing in, in a stadium that wasn't sold out, uh, travelling the world, and and playing in stadiums that weren't sold out because of uh, of signing David. So he made a massive difference and, and the league has only got stronger now and it's getting stronger by the year. So that's great to see because it helps, for me, it helps USL. It helps the USL Championship because the value of the USL Championship goes up. We obviously, uh, you know, it's far more interest in the USL Championship. And obviously only so many players will play in MLS, but... It's great that we have the opportunity to play professionally in a very well-structured and, and a league that people can earn a good living in now, which is, you know, which is important for the players that they can actually, you know, can live on, on what they earn. And, and it's, uh, it just shows you how it's grown over the time I've been here. That's amazing context, Coach. Thank you so much. And, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, Coach Bruce Arena because... We've talked to other players that have played for him, and a lot of them say that Bruce is very good at putting them in places where they can succeed. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about on, on that in regards to in your time coaching, what have been some other characteristics that you feel are so important for to be a good coach, especially a lot of players are now becoming coaches. So for anybody who's trying to aspire to coach at the highest levels, what are some other characteristics, traits, besides possibly communication as well, what have been some other things that you feel could be some good traits to have? Right. Well, a big one for me is, is patience. You have to have patience and you do tend to find that people who move into coaching very soon after playing, that's one that they struggle with. But I think patience comes comes with experience. I think you, the more experience you get, the more patient you can be with, with certain instances because you've seen them You've seen them uh, more than once. And again, uh, you know, that you can't get experience without getting older. And unfortunately, then a lot of players who, who retire and go straight into coaching uh, roles, if you ask them five or 10 years later what they would do in the same instance, they would do things completely different because you, you can't get the experience without without doing the job and uh, being in the game and managing people. So I would say patience, and that's what I. Quite a few coaches will contact me, looking for advice and looking for for help in any way. And I'm always available for if I can help anybody. I'm always available. So, then it is about patience, not reacting, not overreacting. You know, which is a trait of a lot of coaches will overreact because they feel they have to. But it's it's uh, it's a little bit more patience, a little bit more you know seeing it from the other side a little bit and coming up with a with a more relaxed way of doing it. You still got to be strong. You still got to be detailed in what you do. But I think um, I, I think patience is is the big one. I just touched on it there. Detail 
If you, once you get into coaching, you've got to be detailed and prepared. Like us, we train four days a week with a day off in the in the week. So we train four days a week. And you have to prepare for what you're going to do. You've got to prepare for the session. You know, you've got to have an understanding of what you're going to do in your session and why you're going to do it. And you've got to prepare and, and, and get it get it organized, you know, well in advance, because you obviously at some point you're going to get asked questions that you need to answer. And so you have to be well prepared for the, you know, rather than just think, well, I'll just roll out and do a passing drill and I'll do a possession drill. And uh, if, you, if you're not actually working at anything, it's, uh, it's very easy to be found out. So I would say be detailed and prepared, but overall to be patient. That's amazing stuff, Coach. Thank you for uh, sharing that bit of uh, knowledge with us when it comes to trying to see those characteristics in certain players when they want to do that transition. Because we've seen countless times throughout the years, guys like Pat Noonan who've been on the show, Jim Curtin, have had that successful transition and have touched yeah. on a bit of those those key uh, aspects of the game. And I know we touched on some of the bigger names that you've worked with in uh, U.S. soccer. You mentioned Bruce Arena already. You also worked in several clubs with Frank Yallop, who's another big name. You know, I know you guys have the Ipswich connection over there. He was also a player for them for a bit. And I was just curious. I heard you on the We Are Soccer podcast a few years back, and you were quoted saying when they asked you about some advice that was given to you at a younger stage in your career that resonated with you. And it was no one is bigger than the game. Mm hmm. And in my opinion, that truly captures your Detroit City team and the ethos that I just see based on the field, on the play on the field. Mm -hmm. And how do you get that message across to the players from the first team to the youth academy? Well, it's, it, yeah, it's a, it's a great observation because it is really what we are, you know, and it, it, it is something that we that we, we talk about. And it's a, the word culture is overused. You know, people will always talk about their soccer culture and we have this culture. But it is to, to get to that level of understanding that we are doing this all together and nobody is bigger than the game and nobody's bigger than anybody else. It is the culture of a daily thing. So on a day-to-day -day basis, we work at that, whether that's on the training field, whether that's in the you know back at the club you know we we have a, a chef and we have a full staff of, of people and it's the trainers whether it's the the, the rehab or the, it's the sports scientists whether it's the goalkeeper coach whether it's the assistant coach whether it's the head coach and we're all the same so we're all judged by the same we're all on the players finalists the staff are on the finalists so if i'm late or if i leave something around i'll get fined just the same as as anybody else so that's the way we we try to build that culture, and I think on a because we do it on a day to day basis, it comes. You know, we treat players the same on the field. Nobody is bigger than anybody else on the field, and I think in doing that, I think it just becomes a way, a habit, if you like, and a, a way of of understanding what we're doing here. We yeah, we know it's a job. We know we're we're working extremely hard because we all want to do well, and everyone wants to do well individually. But we do get the point that we understand that to do well individually, you have to do well collectively. And that's part of what we build here. So great observations that is that because it is a saying in a, in a store here in Detroit that says Detroit versus everyone. So it, we, we don't exactly have that. We have a chip on our shoulder, but we are all the same. And then uh, we take that into every game.
That's amazing, Coach. And thank you for sharing that again. One of the observations that I made of this team was during that U.S. Open Cup run that you guys had, because one of my favorite tournaments growing up as a kid has always been the EFL Cup or the FA Cup, where you get to see some of those big upsets. I'm a bit of a Lincoln City fan. It's a very obscure team, but I've always liked the Imps, you know, since like 05. Very random. But I think one of those shocking results of this year's cup that didn't get talked about enough was when you guys took on that Columbus crew team that was heavily favored and they're stacked from top to bottom with a great coach and Caleb Porter who's had success in this tournament. And it was Detroit's first time up against a MLS side. And you guys came out on top 2-0 winners and put on a performance that showed us what this team is about, both on and off the field, I felt like. And that quote, I feel like, resonates with it even more so. And how important was that result to set the bar that much higher for this club moving forward into having a strong finish in this USL championship season, being that it's your first in it and you guys are in a playoff spot and there's already two thirds of the season done. Mm-hmm. No, it was, it was massive for us. Obviously, it was you know the, the biggest win in the in club history. It was a game again that you know we thought we had a had a decent chance of getting a result. It's funny because you you know it's we're on a little bit of momentum building at the start of the season. We had some good results, and and it it really is about what we do, whether it's. You know, like we play Oakland this weekend, or it was Columbus Crew, or it was Louisville in the in the next round. It's about what we do, and if we do it well, we'll get a decent result from the game. And and again, um, obviously, a, a difficult place for some teams to want to come. Keyworth Stadium, the the bigger teams, if you like, the MLS teams who play in bigger stadiums. Other, you know, USL teams who play in bigger stadiums. It's uh, a little bit intimidating. You, you have say eight thousand people. You're very close to the field. There's no space anywhere, so you, you know you're going to be in for a battle. So if, if you're not ready to meet that battle head on, you could get upset. And I think basically that's what happened to Columbus. They maybe thought it was going to be a little bit more comfortable than it was, and. You know, and uh, as you said, you've seen it in the FA Cup where the big teams go and play the non-league teams or the lower league teams and they, they, they get turned over, whether it's at Sinsel Bank or wherever you want to, wherever Lincoln City play now. I think it, it was it was that sort of night. And it's, uh, you know, as I say, you, you get a night at Keyworth like that. And again, that's where we're trying so hard to get in this last part of the season uh, to try to reach for the top four, if that's at all possible because a, a home playoff game at, at Keyworth it will be a, a, a different animal to an away playoff game. So, yes, we will be very happy to finish in the playoffs, but we're still going to reach while, while we've got the games there, we've got the points available, we're still going to reach to see if we can we can get the home field playoff game, which will be, again, a, another exciting night and could be another famous famous night for the club. So so hopefully, hopefully we'll be there or thereabouts. Yeah, coach, I can imagine if you guys host a playoff game, I don't care what team is visiting, it's going to be a problem. The atmosphere that you guys put on from the fan base with the smoke, with the flares, it's a very big European atmosphere, even though the numbers may not show it in terms of it's not a 50,000 seat stadium, but it feels like it when you step on that field because of how close the fans are and all that. And I just love to see it. Yeah, it's very, it's very much like you say, and it's uh, you get that European feel because the you know people walk through the streets of you know houses to to get to the stadium. The stadium is right in the middle of a housing estate, so it's it's like you were in the in Lincoln City or 
or, or somewhere like that where where you have to walk through you can't park there's no big car parking facility at the stadium so you have to park and walk through this the street so it very much gives you that feel so once the game gets going as you say the fan base are unbelievable so you've always got a chance there you've always got a, a chance at home regardless of who you play exactly coach and you actually have gotten to coach this team both in the semi-pro level now on the pro level and help develop some outstanding talent on this detroit side having worked with players in college as well as full pros and getting the best out of them with limited resources at times and i'm just curious what challenges did you face when going from the npsl to the NISA, and then from NISA now to the USL Championship, because you've continued to have success. You guys were back-to-back champions in the past two seasons, leading up to this season in the USL Championship. And for some of the listeners who have not gotten a chance to see this team, who are some of the leaders that you can highlight that help you keep this high standard throughout these past few years? Yeah, I mean, there's been a, a number of players uh, through the years, but but the, the, the main stays would, you know, if you look at the captain, Steve Carroll, I mean, he was here when I came just out of college, didn't know if he was going to be able to play semi-pro soccer, let alone professional soccer. And uh, he, he's he's there, he's done very well, and he's, and he's sort of stepped up again. You know, each time we've asked him to step up a division, he's done it, and he's certainly done it this year. Again, Nate Steinwasher, the goalkeeper, is another one. They were here and around the club when I came. Uh, and it was just, again, about trying to make them more professional, even though we, were, we weren't we were a full professional team. it was We ran it as if it was a full professional team. So it was, again, getting them to understand what it takes to play at a higher level than they were. And they've credit to them. They've taken it on and uh, and been able not only to do it, but to do it very well, you know. And, again, they'll finish the season out and hopefully uh hopefully they'll be you know they'll get their rewards for it but but in Melbourne obviously this time we we didn't move to the USL championship till late in the year it was announced late in the year that we were doing it so roster wise it was a, a late build to to try to build the roster I finished up I think it was nine players that came from Nisa players who were with with us with Detroit but I also picked two or three up from from other teams who were in Nisa who I'd seen play against us and I thought did really well and thought they may have the what's needed to play at a higher level. And in, in fairness, it was Michael Bryant from Cal United, uh, Reese Williams from Stumptown, and Devin Mensah, who, who came from Michigan Stars, but who was just last week had ACL surgery. So we lost him for the season, which is a massive loss because he's been outstanding. He's been outstanding game in, game out. So... And all these guys that we brought with us have, have stepped up. And as I say, not only, you know, they say, well, you know, do, do, can they play in the championship? They've done more than that. They've, they've done, you know, at this point, they've done really well. So I, I, I wasn't sure they're all going to do as well as they have, but I'm really pleased for them that they've taken it on and got to work extremely, extremely hard at what they do. Um, we do ask a lot of them, but they, you know, it's it, they really want to do it. They really want to be professionals. They want to play in the USL Championship and to to get used to doing it season after season. So uh, I'm just pleased that they've actually stepped up in in the way they have and and are, are really probably outperforming. I won't say outperforming what I thought, but there's certainly so many of them are success stories. So it's it's great to see. Hey, that's great context, Coach. Thank you so much for that and. I wanted to ask you, Coach, you know, we've had other USL coaches on our show and a common theme and, or a common message that they let us know is they 
always talk about the front office staff, starting with the top from the owners all the way down where the front office and, and the owners have the full backing of a coach. And I wanted to ask you in regards to Detroit City, what has been the message from, from the top, starting with, I believe, CEO Sean Mann, all the way down for Detroit City fans and to just keep growing this game and to keep growing this club? Well, oh, they've been outstanding. I mean, there was, when, I, when I came to the club, there was uh, five owners. You know, I'm sure you're aware of the story of the club. I don't know if you how it started and and whatever. There was five. I'll just touch on it while we can. There was five guys who friends who were playing. They were running their own co-ed league of of soccer and decided that they wanted to have their own team in Detroit. So I think they I think the five of them put in two thousand dollars each and and formed a club and played in the local league. And that's how it started. And uh, and through my time here. This will be the fourth year I've been here since my time when I came in and was hired in the position. They've been outstanding. I mean, I have, you know, the demands are, are not like, oh, we've got to win and we need to win and we need to do this. They're very much, they, you know, make this year, they made the, the budget available and, and I have control of that. I'm the general manager as well as the head coach. So as far as recruitment and player selection and things like that away from the field, that's all my responsibility. And they don't, um, they've not, not, not once had any any bad word to say about what we do. And, and then on the field, as far as coaching and team tactics and team selection, that's also my decision. So, and then they, they, they've never, never once um, said, uh, why is he playing or why isn't he playing or, or whatever. So, they, I mean, you couldn't work for a better ownership group than here at Detroit because they, you know, they're fully supporting if, if forever. If they, if they do ask me questions, it's always, you know, what more can we do? How can we help you? What would make your job easier? What would make it, you know, how can we, they, obviously they, yeah, we're now in a very competitive league and they know that it's tough and we play the, with a lot of clubs and the budgets are much higher than us. And that, you know, that's where we are in the first year. And I, I imagine over the years that will change. But, you know, we knew that to start with. I knew that. So it was a matter of working within the budget that we had and getting the best out of best out the players what we could. So, but, so the, they've been great. And obviously if they could, raise budgets or they could help in any way they would. But I know what this club was, how this club was built and I know why it was built and, and the support that they get from the, the community. It's again, another overused, overused word that people will say, well, ours is a community club, but this is the community club without any question of doubt. It's, it's owned and, you know, we have uh, ownership of, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people who, who own shares in the club, who kept the club going and kept the club afloat while the, the pandemic was on so that we could carry on in the same vein. And so we've got the support of everybody. But as far as, as Sean and, and and the rest of the owner group, ownership group, it's first class because they, there is no, they just want to want to do well. And obviously this year, I think they're very happy with, with the way we've started and we've got to the two thirds in the season. That's why I think everybody realizes how hard they work behind the club. Uh, behind the scenes, I should say, you know, and they and they want to they want to be successful for them. You know, they they know you know three of the owners work daily at the club. They work full time with the club in in different departments, uh, Sean and, and two others. So, uh, you know, they work they work their socks off at what they do. So, um, I, I think that the the players see that 
they, they want to be successful and they want to reward these people um, who do the work. And you just struck something that I wanted to ask you as well, to, kind of to wrap it up with one more question after. I know you've been a, been a scout for some of the top clubs out there in your previous uh, career. I wanted to ask you, you know, when the, when the budgets aren't that high, especially, you know, in the USL, uh, what are some characteristics that you look for when the club is scouting for players, anybody coming into the club? We've asked that question before to other coaches, and one of the big top characteristics is for them to be humble, a good human being. But I wanted to ask you anything else that kind of stands out to you when, when you're talking or scouting players. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, they're good points, but I think if you, you, you also need got to look at what they do on the field. Um, a, a lot of what I what I do is certainly when I scout and I'm looking at players, I very much look at what players are doing when they don't have the ball. You know, most people can do the same sort of things with the ball to a certain extent. But if you watch players without the ball, you'll see what, what their appetite is like for the game. See, see what their aptitude would be like. You know, are they coachable? Um, how much could you get out of them if you, if you had them in? Uh, so I, that's a big thing for me is that I look at players without what they do without the ball. And their attitudes, their body language, these sort of things. Along the way, obviously, you hope that they can they can pass it and control it and do good things with it. But uh, but if you get those sort of character traits, you've got a good chance of actually developing somebody who certainly will will improve greatly. So they're they're, they're one of the things I look for. That's amazing. And yes, I can't, I'm, I'm learning so much from that. So thank you so much, Coach. And Coach, just to finish it up, I think our last question you know, we know you've been around the game for a long time, but I, we just want to ask you if you're a man of routine uh, for someone who's been coaching, um, what's a typical game day like for you or possibly the night before the game? Anything you do to calm the nerves? What's a typical game day like? Uh, do you take a walk before the game or anything? Anything you do before the game? Uh, before the game is, yeah, I have, um, I'm a creature of habit, I imagine. I, I normally... I normally have a bit of time at home and listen to we have music on. So we, at the home, so we normally listen to the same sort of music and we do that. And then when I, I normally get into the club around two and a half, three hours before the players do. And that's where I prepare all my pre-match sheets and, and you know, and video, which is already done. But I, I go through it all again. So I actually go through the pre-match meeting you know, a good two hours before we actually do it. I tend to, before the pre-match meal, I tend to just uh, close the office door and have a quiet sit down and stare at the, the notice board and um, and make sure that I've got all my eyes dotted and uh, T's crossed, as, as, as I said, as I would advise a, a young coach to be prepared and make sure that they're prepared for what's going ahead. And I also do the same again in the uh, in the locker room prior to the game. Uh, we get to the to the locker room, you know, 90 minutes before. Uh, so there's a, a bit of time where the, the boys will listen to the music and do what they do. Again, I'll take five minutes just to sit in another row, just to sit in, in a bit of quiet. I can hear the music, but it's a bit quiet for me and take a bit of time. But they're, they're the normal things. I do get nervous. I still get nervous, which is great. I still get nervous before games. I get yeah, not too bad the night before. I, I still think there's too much to happen in the next day for, for me to get nervous then. But certainly um, when I'm at games prior to the game, I do get I do get nervous. And I like that because, I, you know, I think maybe if I didn't get nervous, maybe it wouldn't mean as much. But it certainly still means, it still means as much to me now as it did when I was 16. And trying to win, win football games 
is difficult, but that's what I'm focused on doing. And uh, and while I'm doing that, then obviously that's I know I'm I'm, I'm doing something right. That is amazing, and that's so cool that the nerves are still there, just like yeah. from day one. So, and coach, I'm sorry, I'd be ashamed if I didn't ask for the listeners who may not know too much about Detroit and about the soccer culture. What can bring these people out besides the the quality on the pitch? What can you recommend? Maybe a good food destination, a good pub, possibly because we all love beer. <laughs> right, right. Well, there's the, you know, there's uh, there's a selection of, of pubs and and obviously good restaurants. I mean, it's really, I think you know, with Detroit, I mean, over the last fifteen years, the, the city has really made a recovery from where it was. And and again, I think most people talk about Detroit. You talk about Detroit in a negative way. I've never been to Detroit, and I know that the that I hadn't ever been to Detroit before before I was asked to come here for an interview uh, for the position. So, you know, it's certainly you know, when I came here and I saw that how it was it was rebounding from bad times, it certainly changed my opinion of the city. So, and it's only getting better. I mean, it's only getting better and, and, and rebounding further. So, no, I mean, I would say come to Keyworth because the, the atmosphere, the, the experience of the game is unique to most, even to most USL championship teams. Yes, they, as I say, they're newer or bigger stadiums. There may be bigger crowds, but the intensity of a game at Keyworth, the atmosphere of, as you, you pointed out, the smoke and the Northern Guard support group who doesn't, don't stop singing from the first minute to the last minute. I could never do it. I could never keep up with it, but they do it from the first minute to the last minute. It is really that experience. And it's, uh, so I would say that, and I mean, you know, we're other sports teams in Detroit, but don't have that experience in their stadiums. So I would say, okay, you know, when you guys are ready to come out, come out for the experience, come and see a game at Keyworth and, uh, you know, let, you can be, be my guest and come out and, and, uh, come and sit on the bench with me if you want, and you can get a real experience of it. But, um, and let them sing, sing songs and call you names instead of me. So that would be that would be nice. But it's all it's all it's all affectionate. So it's all in a it's all in a in a in a loving way. I think so. Uh, so I, I enjoy it. But yeah, just to come to Keyworth and experience it. Thank you so much, Coach. And don't tempt me with a good time. You know, I, I'd, I'd love to just fly down there. And the merch is incredible. I love the jerseys, both yeah. home and away, the shirts, right. the T-shirts. It's all right. amazing, you know. So. Yeah, I'm sitting, I'm sitting in the store. Uh, this is a store at, the, at, the, at our offices. Uh, and we have now, we have opened a store uh, in downtown Detroit as well. So it's just so, as you say, it's, it, it's unbelievable the merchandise and the, the sales from, not, you know, not just in Detroit or in the U.S., but also around the world, you know, it's, uh, we, I'm forever getting photographs and messages sent to me from around the world where people wearing Detroit City FC jerseys or scarves or, or whatever will be. So, so yeah, but now be sure to come, look at this, you know, get the schedule, come and watch your game. Let us know when you're coming. Absolutely, coach. And we're keeping an eye on you and we're keeping an eye on Detroit City. We'll definitely be down at Keyworth uh, Stadium coming up, if not this season, then definitely for next season. Right. And coach, we wish you all the best and hope to have you back down with us down the road again. Thank you so much, sure. coach. Thank you very much, guys. Good chatting with you. All right, guys, that was the interview with Trevor James. What an interview, Coach Trevor. Thank you so much for being on with us, man. We learned so much and we can't wait to have a visit down to Detroit, Michigan and catch a game down there. 
keyword stadium. Definitely a stadium to go check out. And Christian, man, let's get out of here. Anything you want to say before we get out of here? I hope uh, Vaz doesn't get locked out again. We miss you here in this recording. Shout out to Hugh, who did amazing on the last episode. And to anyone that's listening, thank you. We hope to bring you more joy and talking footy with you. Listen, everyone, thank you for listening. It's an amazing time to be a soccer fan. We have MLS closing in on the playoffs soon. We have European football coming up. 89 days till the World Cup starts. Just a clearly amazing time to be a football fan. And I can't wait for the rest of the year, dude. Thank you all for listening. Appreciate it, Eric. And yeah, for the soccer fans, episode 72 is a wrap. We'll be back next week for episode 73. We got a super huge guest coming up for episode 73. Can't believe we're already going through our 70s. Check us out on Soccer Says Podcast on Instagram. Send us an email, Podcast at Gmail. And we'll see you guys next week for episode 73. Everyone take care and have a good one.